Hi, do you want to come out and see the writers and creators and showrunners of your favorite shows that are not on TV, but are on alternative TV, like Netflix and Hulu? And do you also want to support 826LA? You can do that, both of those things, concurrently, on February 21st at a live writer's panel with Daredevil showrunners, our old pal, Doug Petrie, and his co-showrunner, Marco Ramirez, as well as Melissa Rosenberg, the creator and showrunner of Jessica Jones. She also wrote the Twilight movies, so we'll talk about those movies. Need more? Jason Kadams, creator of Parenthood and About a Boy and the showrunner of Friday Night Lights and the executive producer of the new Hulu series, The Path, which was created by Jessica Goldberg, who will also be there. This is a huge panel. I hope that all of you will come out and ask these guys questions and talk to them and watch me talk to them and watch them talk to each other. It'll be fun. Go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. I put the link up every day in every post. Writerspanel.tumblr.com. Or follow me on twitter.com, at Ben Blacker, and you will find the link for tickets. This is at the 826LA space in Echo Park, Los Angeles, California, America. And uh, seating is very limited. It's a small, cozy, intimate space. Synonyms. Who doesn't love them? Uh, so get your tickets soon. This is, once again, on February 21st, 5 to 7 p.m. doesn't even ruin your day. In fact, it'll make your day. Hope to see you there. Writerspanel.tumblr.com Now entering Nerdist.com Today's episode is recorded at ATX Television Festival. This year's fest is June 9th through 12th, and you should be there. They've already announced really cool stuff, like an Everybody Loves Raymond reunion, Terriers, The Shield, uh, with a bunch of writers from that show. They've got Norman Lear. They've got Hart Hansen. Come on out. Go to atxfestival.com. Get your badge June 9th through 12th, and come say hello. to say it's just too much TV. Uh, we're also in the Renaissance period, and all everybody here is making a great show. Uh, hopefully you're all fans of that. But as you can tell, at some point in this Renaissance, we have too many great shows. And so and you can only watch so much. I think there's some scientific... Uh, uh, number about what you can watch, and that's not even including for you guys. You know, people have say six to ten shows that they or more that they're super loyal to, and they watch every episode. But that's not even counting um, people who watch John Daly. I mean, not John Daly. No one watches John Daly. But the uh, <laughs> Junior, he used to be a great golfer. But uh, the Daily Show for John Stewart and 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 all the late night shows. That's not even including that. So there's all this glut of really good things that people watch on a regular basis, and then. You know, it, it becomes too much. So what this panel is about, and we'll throw this idea out to these guys kind of randomly, is how do you 
maintain your audience, even if you're the most loyal audience? And how do you, when you're off the air, so, you know, when, when Orphan Black goes off the air or Fargo goes off the air, what, what happens to that loyal audience? Well, in the meantime, uh, what happens is a whole bunch of new shows come out. And, and if we are saying that we're in this renaissance period, a lot of them are going to be really good. And you're going to like them. And if you like them, what happens is maybe you don't come back to the other show. Um, I was uh, told an anecdote earlier where somebody said, yeah, I can't believe that show's not back yet. It had been off. There he is. Bo Wallamon, everybody. Come on. (laughs) Sorry, I was just hanging out in a room waiting to be told where to go. And then they're like, we need you now. Sorry, guys. Yeah, we were looking for you, but it's uh, we found you. So, uh, so House of Cards, and uh, another one. And, Bo, what you missed was we were just talking about how there's this overwhelming glut of shows, uh, 400 scripted shows, maybe above now, 400 scripted shows on TV right now in primetime, 8 to 11. So very overwhelming for fans. Uh, and the idea is, what, as I just said, what do you, what do, you do if, if you're a serious creator like these guys? Uh, what, what options are available to you to keep a loyal audience when you're off the air? And the anecdote that I was sharing earlier is that somebody did say to me, man, I can't believe that show's not back yet. And I was like, it's, they were off. I said, literally, that show had been off there for six weeks. And I was like, you know it has to be, like, people get vacations. There's writing to do. There's filming and shooting. And they, people have lost the, I, the concept of what it is between seasons because there's so much stuff. Uh, and these were pretty savvy people, and, and well, it doesn't sound like it, but they were. So it's, it's six weeks that you can't make another show, and so it's this instant gratification. So what we're going to do here is talk about what can shows do um, between seasons. And the idea came up. We talked about this in the green room a little bit. Is that the idea came up from uh, an executive at BBC America who said it's kind of like uh, uh, like uh, hot stove league baseball where we need the, the TV industry needs something along the lines of sports where you're talking about your stars and your shows and things off the air so that you they don't lose interest and you keep it uh, you keep it interesting and fresh in their minds uh, and sports teams do this a really good job at that so with that I just want to throw it out if it is, have you guys ha- talked about this because it's kind of a fresh topic have you talked about this amongst yourselves or your staff or your network or your channel uh, about how to keep your show fresh off the air. The networks talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But did they do anything about it? Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, f- I'm sure from our point of view, the first thing we got to do is figure out how to keep them coming back with story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cliffhangers and, and you know, where do you interrupt a character arc um, to keep people totally invested in that character, things like that. Um, but then there's the whole um, inter- internet, the, the you know fandoms uh, mm-hmm. and maintaining a fandom, and you know uh, that's a whole other ball of wax that can be quite a you know an ongoing conversation. Here, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, we have we have a, it, it's kind of this is a really I think uh, diverse panel because we have uh, BBC America, we've uh, got CBS and Netflix. And we've got FX, and so they're all in different entities in their own in their own way. Uh, so, Bo, how are you connect? What does Netflix tell you between seasons, like what that they're going to do to to keep House of Cards sort of in the news? Um, well, I, I don't have anything else to compare it to uh, in terms of my own experience. Uh, when we were making season one, it, it was a discussion as to whether we would release all in one day 
or whether we release traditionally week to week, or, or maybe variants of that, like release four, then wait a few months and release six, and you know, so on. And, and we decided to go with all in one day. Now, what that creates for us is a situation where for those people who choose to binge watch as soon as we release, then they have almost a whole year before they're going to see the show again. If you're releasing something week to week and there's 13 episodes, that's you're only waiting nine months or eight months, um, still a long period of time. Uh, for broadcast shows, uh, if it's 20-plus episodes, it's less time. Um, so we didn't actually, I mean, from, from the creative team standpoint, we didn't put much thought into how are we going to keep them interested. Uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, the key is if we tell a great story in the first season, our hope is that whether it's nine months from now or a year from now or what have you, that people want to come back. And, and we kind of take the strategy of, um, like, just hibernating. Like, we, we don't try to put ourselves out there consistently over that year, um, I think because there's so much great television now, actually people have plenty to watch during that year, and then it's sort of like, hey, we're back, and, and there's some excitement to that. Um, you know, your withdrawal has passed, you've moved on to watch other shows, and then, but hey, remember how fondly you liked this strain of heroin? Um, <laughs> it's being sold again. Yeah, and so um, uh, uh, we... Um, you know, I, I know that the Netflix marketing team, uh, you know, they, they, they're very active on social media and they're doing tweets and stuff like that. But we're super secretive about the story. We're not putting teasers or leaking out little tidbits of information or who we're casting or anything like that. I think we, we sort of say, here's what we've got. You've watched it. And now we're going to go and do our work. You live your life. And when we've got something to show you again, we'll let you know. I, I think, you know, the, the big change over the last 10 years is that distribution models have uh, there's a lot more options, and that uh, through social media, the dialogue with the fans is something that's completely different. What's not at all different is it still takes a year to make a season of a TV show, yeah. and you'll never get around that. I mean, you, you can only shoot so many pages a day. You can only write so many pages in a year. Uh, and, and so it's like, how do you navigate this thing that's invariable with all the variables that you have? Yeah, so it's not six weeks is what you're saying. <laughs> between seasons. No, uh, no. So and I want to just hit with everybody, and then we'll come back and try it. Like we, well, I wasn't even kidding. They were trying to work it out in the room here. Uh, an answer to it, because it, it is actually a, a topic that's, that's very new to the industry and, 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 getting, and getting more important, because six months ago, there were 352 scripted series. Now there's like 400. So it's crazy, and they're going up. Um, so... Uh, you, uh, Mickey, you have uh, excellent. It's a summer series, which they bill as the event series. Right. So you basically have to wait till every summer. And for network people who are not kind of used to, say, the Netflix model, um, when you're gone, and, and you're also in historically, you're in a season when network people don't want. You know, they, they do now, and that's why it's changed. But historically, networks shut down in May. So you're putting it now. It's a new. You're in a new vehicle where you're putting on a summer series where people are not conditioned to watch it in the summer. Yeah, we got really lucky because when we were going out pitching the show, uh, Under the Dome premiered, you know, right before, like, I think the the week before we went out to start pitching, it premiered, and, and it was this huge phenomenon, you know, again, for, like, you know, for summer TV, and so we really were able to ride the the wave off of that, but, but, but what happened is by the time that we premiered, you know, the next summer, along with Under the Dome, their second season, so many more people were doing it, and it became a lot more, you know, there were a lot more people doing these, the big summer series and stuff, and, and, um, 
just you know, kind of building on what these guys were talking about, for us, we took a little bit different tactic because you know it was a, it was built as an event series, and we we sold it straight to series, so we knew we had thirteen episodes, but we didn't know if there was any life you know for beyond that. We certainly hoped there would be. Um, but as a genre show and a fan of these kind of like mystery thrillers, you know, we really took the tactic as a team to say, you know, we didn't want to leave it open ended. We 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 felt like we couldn't really leave on a cliffhanger because we just didn't know if there was you know going to be a chance to come back. And so we thought, let's leave it all on the floor. Let's do it as a big self contained adventure story, and and um, and leave a few breadcrumbs for if you know we get the chance to come back, we can we can build a whole new uh, season two of it. Um, but we really were, were kind of going for a big finale and treating it like a big summer blockbuster movie, uh, you know, over 13 episodes. And, um, you know, and for us, like, because of that, like, the, the, you know, we are, we're on CBS. It's a genre show. And, and we were, I was really hoping as a you know, big fan of these shows that there would be that kind of, like, uh, core fan base of it. And, 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 and a lot of, I think, the CBS, you know, audience, like, for a lot of the procedurals and stuff, they tend to be, you know, a little older. There wasn't quite the younger, the younger demographic for a while, but around four episodes in, I, I was live-tweeting the shows. I kind of, I, I was sort of following the lead of people, you know, like, Brian Fuller. I'd watched him and, and how great he was on Twitter communicating with the fans and building up the fan base by, by being open and communicating, you know, even during the shows. And, and I really wanted to follow that, you know, follow that lead myself or somebody like, Damon Lindelof and you know Carlton Cuse through Lost and through uh, I was watching Carlton Cuse do it through Bates Motel and I was on watching the show with them and live tweeting stuff and so I had the opportunity to do that as the creator and around episode four I started seeing this like fans emerge on Twitter and starting to live tweet the show and a really interesting core group and and I think that became you know like kind of what Bo was talking about like the social media for us became a way to start to really build the conversation throughout the season and then and and that's continued all the way through I mean they're I get questions all the time, you know, when's it coming back or when's, mm-hmm. and we're, we're on around the world. So I was able to track, okay, we're this, you know, this week we open in uh, Japan or the you know, United Kingdom. And, and, and so I, so I'm always trying to like, you know, communicate with those fans and, and, and keep the word out because we do disappear, you know? Right. And that's, and yeah, and we'll come back to that because that's, that's really the, the emphasis of this, but I wanted to, because what you were saying about, you know, you, you closed it up in the summer, not knowing if you'd come back because you were an event series. Uh, same thing. Same thing with you. No, where you have Fargo, where you have, um, and that's the buzz. As you guys well know now, I mean, it's, no one calls it miniseries anymore. It's limited series or event series or something, right? It's some, and it's some series. And uh, so, so Fargo was closed. And uh, but you, the, the, I think that the pressure for HBO, I'm sorry, for FX, is that they now have to say, okay, we have to sell an entirely new series again. And what are the struggles that you found with that, or the bonuses even? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, obviously there's two ways to think about it. One is you chase people down the street yelling watch my show, and the other is you don't, right? The other is you say, um, we're going to make something great, and then people are going to find it because they like great things, you know? <clears throat> and I think, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to create a world that, that then takes up space in your brain, and you miss that world when it's gone, and nothing else really fills that void the same way. And then, you know, because we're, we're off the air for not even a year, we're off the air for like eight, 18 months or something like that, because we premiered last April, and we're coming back in, in September, probably. And, and, you know, so you're asking audiences to, 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 you know, to wait longer. And I guess the fear is that they're going to forget about you. Or, you know, or, or you, you, to actually create an event, you need to have an event, right? I mean, it, it can't just be you're telling people it's an event. Like, you, you take the extra time to make the show better, 
and then you come back and and you know hopefully people will will find you. I mean, I certainly didn't expect people to find us in the first place. It was such a strange thing to do and and um so I don't know. I mean, I feel like there there is a lot of interaction with fans on you know on the sort of shows that skew younger and you know I'm sure the 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 social media presence of the vampire diaries is is enormous. That's not really what you know i i I have some little time to begin with. I just feel like I, I need to make my show, you know. Right. So you can't spend it on Twitter. I get, I get that. Yeah. Well, it's also. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's th- there's value to it certainly, and I and I and I do some of it, and I feel like it's a great way to interact directly with people when you have something to say. But I don't believe that everything I have to say I should say out loud, you know. Right. <laughs> well, it's it's oh, yeah. interesting what you said too because you, by being off for eighteen months, you're it's almost you, you're becoming special by being away for so long rather than being on a cycle. Um, and then you are also recreating an entirely new cast, and that's a kind of a freshness. Right. Element. Yeah. So it is a different movie each time under the same brand. And you know, the thing that I had going for me was a brand that cut through because the other part of this conversation is, well, how do you get an audience in the first place? Right. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, how do you get them to come back? But how do you launch a show like Orphan Black and and you know build an audience for it? And 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 then you know and then once people find it, there's nothing else like it on television. So you can't sort of say, well, you know, um, this other show came along that does what Orphan Black does. I mean, nothing else does that, right? So I don't know. I mean, I I trust people because people will, they'll crawl over broken glass to watch something they love in this day and age. You know, where you sort of like go take a walk or something, but but you know, <laughs> you, you know, so people will find the great material. I feel like. Well, and I I, I believe that too. Uh, um, but the genesis of the conversation about this was uh, people in the industry saying they'll do that until that they don't, and we need to have a plan for when they don't because now we're hitting the element, we're hitting overflow of all these great shows where we're much more likely that they might have be distracted, not just by a bright, shiny object, which would be a reality series, but like another great scripted yeah. series. But people aren't necessarily watching shows when they air. Right. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people that are... There's someone who's discovering Breaking Bad or The Wire today for right. the first time. Right. And I'm jealous of that person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, there's that. Two is... I think television was defined for half a century where the content was being shoehorned into a form that was based upon, uh, at first, live broadcast with the studio audience. I mean, you pointed a camera and it was going directly to a TV. Uh, later it became taped, but because that was the convention and you were you, you were still slotting things into different times, like an hour long or a half hour long on a given night so that you could sell advertising, um, you know, you were, you were creating stories story uh, that would fit within that and where you would have uh, cliffhangers for commercial breaks. Um, But but I think what you're seeing overall is a trend where uh, the form is now uh, beginning to conform more to the content, which is why you have so much more limited series, because some things maybe only are meant to be eight eight hours long. Um, you've already seen an erosion of that, starting with paid cable or subscription cable services, uh, where you had early on episodes of Sopranos. Some might be 48 minutes, some might be 61 minutes. And I think that trend will continue where you'll you'll cease to think about what constitutes even a season. Like The, the notion of a season is sort of becoming outdated, 
because uh, that was based on a sort of cyclical nature of like upfronts and selling advertising and all of that. Um, now you have year-round release. Uh, you you could begin to see shows where it's not so much about seasons, but you have four hours in two two-hour chunks followed six months later by an hour and a half episode clean, followed by 18 months later, uh, 10 episodes that range from 20 minutes to uh, 90 minutes in length. There's no reason anymore why those things can't be explored. And so I think we're just beginning to see that start to emerge. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point. Um, and and that'll be interesting as creators, you guys as creators, to do that kind of thing. But on this panel, what's interesting is you, your you your show is really kind of the outlier and because it's on Netflix and they don't release their ratings, and they, maybe they'll tell you, but I'm not maybe, maybe they, don't they don't tell me. Yeah, I have no idea tell. how many people watch Exactly. Show. Right. So it's but but these three guys know. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so these three guys know, and in some ways, it, it, but but I, I I think that there's a lot about from the Netflix model and from House of Cards, which has brand loyalty, that we can add here. But but the interesting thing is, you, you three guys have you see the ratings, and so if there is an erosion, if someone has found another show, uh, you're going to find out kind of immediately. One of the things that brought, somebody brought up about your show, uh, and it plays a little bit into Extent as well, is uh, the notion that people who like sci-fi shows are um, they're more loyal and that, and that they, f- they find a reason to make this hot, kind of hot stove league, this year-round talk about a show, um, they're more likely to do that because it's in their DNA than, than someone who maybe has just come, came to Fargo for the first time and then they're like, okay, well, I loved it, but you know what I mean? So there's like the clone club kind of thing and, you, you, and, and, and there's this viralness to a lot of... Um, uh, uh, genre material that is not present in, say, House of Cards or or Fargo. So, uh, do you have you seen elements of uh, Orphan Black's audience stay more loyal through that means? Um, yeah, yeah, de- definitely. Uh, you know, like first of all, it was really interesting. Like ratings in general are so different now. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know Orphan Black's on Saturday night, which is like a bit of a wasteland, and and BBC America has always said from the beginning. We're not interested in the first night number, you know. Um, we're interested in the plus three, which is the number that comes in. That how many people have watched it three days later? How many people have watched it seven days later? And that model is is like, or that you know, the 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 strategy to to trust in the audience to watch it during the week has paid off. Right. It's like it, it doubles by um, the plus three number. Sometimes doubles or almost doubles. Which is really, like, that's really interesting, and that speaks to a lot of this about about your audience and how people watch TV. And then, I mean, like, Orphan Black is just, you know, Clone Club is, is, is its own organic thing. It's just fantastic. And we don't have to curate it. They cur- curate themselves the... That that need you know that you're that you know you're wanting that that quality heroin that you missed <laughs> that they they are they are fanning it themselves and they're keeping uh, themselves excited uh, and, and you know I'm sure that the networks love that because it's self perpetuating it's um, uh, which is which is amazing and we don't have to do that much. We, it's, I mean, it's terrific to engage and to give back to that and to respond to all of that creativity in Clone Club. All of the, you know, like if I miss Orphan Black in the middle of the, in the middle of winter, 
I go and read hyper erotic. Uh, uh, like like fan fiction that's just like <laughs> wow okay yeah go check it out I'm serious well it's I mean I think on our best days we're trying to make myths right we're trying to create these stories that, that exist on a larger stage than just an hour of television and and it's getting harder and harder to make something timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the AFI, the 100 Best Movies, and you think about Citizen Kane or about The Godfather. Like, if those were made today, would they still be considered that? You know, because there's so much material in this glut of material. So sometimes what you need, I think, is less. You know, you need more time between. You need time for that first year to really gel in people's heads, you know. And that's why I don't think you'd want to be off year for shorter than a year. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've talked to Michelle Ashford, who does Masters of Sex. I mean, it's a grind, man, you know, to do that thing where it's like you're wrapped and then you get a week off if you're not the showrunner, right? right? And then you jump back into the next year. I mean, I know the Americans, they wrapped their season and then they stayed and broke, you know, a lot of the next year so that they could go off and write scripts on their vacations. You know, that's the crazy... Yeah grind of it. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think it's good to say, look, this, this, this stuff takes time and, and there is so much TV and you guys have other things going. And, and you know, I mean, Louis C.K. took a year off. It's like, it, that didn't hurt him. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I, I get that. Yeah. And, and cont- just contextually to, to bring up other, another show to talk about kind of what we mean, you talked about like the AFI list and, 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 and that. Uh, in another panel, we were talking about how... Um, Manhattan is a series that's on WGBN. And in fact, the guys from Rectify brought this up today uh, off panel. They were like, hey, have you seen that? It's a really great show. And then they were talking about how none of their friends had ever seen it. And uh, it had actually come up at a panel. You were actually at that panel uh, where, where people were, were saying, you know, we were all, uh, Teacher Critics were saying, okay, look, here's a show that's on a network that some people don't even know if they get because a lot of people don't know what they're paying for in their cable, cable bill. So it's, but, it's, but still, the idea is, is that you made, somebody made a great show. Right, right. A show that could be great was certainly very good and very critically acclaimed, um, and they want people to see it. I mean, that's the idea, right? You guys make stuff, you put right. your you put your heart and your blood into it, and you want people to see it, and then you can't find anybody who's actually seen it. That's that's the world that right. But if you have a show me. that's on WGN, you know you, your expectations for how many people are going to watch it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's great that people are paying you this money to make the show that 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 is your dream to make. And, you know, the network should go, well, you know, it's not seen by the same number of people who watch a show on a network that people actually know they have, right? right? right. But we're happy, <laughs> you know, so, but it's hard. How do you build that recognition? But you find shows like, um, you know, that come out of, you, you think are really on the niche or on the fringe, and, you know, they find their way through, you know what I mean? People are talking about them. There's, there's also more opportunity now. I think it's less the case for broadcast network where the acts can fall pretty quickly, but... Um, but still more the case than maybe used to be that people can find shows, you know, two or three seasons in. Mm. Um, and Breaking Bad is the poster child for that. I mean, uh, you know, it, it really became a phenomenon just as it was finishing up because that word of mouth took over because it became available online. Um, and there's so many different ways to, uh, you know, there, there are people who love shows that have no idea what network they're on. Um, but but they're either you know DVRing it or um, you know there's some streaming service something like that. So uh, I think shows can also they they can build an audience over time. Um, and so for all we know, 
two years from now, um, you know, the creators of Manhattan could be sitting up here talking about, wow, what a worldwide phenomenon this has become, and yeah. it's amazing. Uh, and there's no way to predict that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but there's more avenues now for that sort of build. Yeah. We well, you know it's interesting. Really, it, I, a lot of people told us this as we were making the show, and I don't know if you guys found this too. But it, it takes so long to find your footing, you know, and your rhythm, and your, uh, you, uh, you know, to really find your show. You know, and people, like people would say this to me all through the first season, like, you know, it's a first season show. You're 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 still finding your footing, and you're finding what works and what doesn't, and you know, which actors you can really lean on, and which one, you know, like what stories people are really going to be, and and so like that all happens. You're, you're making it. We made it all like our, our first episode premiere when we were shooting the finale, you know. So it was like, so you kind of hope that you made a, you know a lot of right decisions and then, and like you know for us the expectations because of under the dome the season before I feel like everybody had really high hopes and expectations for it and and uh, but you know like you're on that tightrope because you're still learning how to to make it you know and I always look to I would say you know talk about Breaking Bad or talking about like Walking Dead in the sense of. You know, those shows really found their footing and found their audiences, but it took a little bit of time. And, you know, and I think it's up to the people who are, who are putting them on to have a little faith that that's going to happen. Right, and, and in a world where there is Netflix, and I think that contributed both to a lot of the shows we're talking about getting found out later. And so you, you have the first season where no one watches or second season or what, even, and then it goes on Netflix and everybody catches up, and then the third season, boom, you're a, you're, you're a thing, right? I mean, you're, you're in the zeitgeist because people need, they, with this, with its influx Sometimes of shows. Sometimes even after they're done, I mean, I would, I would bet, I have no numbers to support this, but mm -hmm. I bet far more people have watched The Wire mm -hmm. since it went off the air than watched it during. That it, I think if there's a list 100 years from now, an AFI list of the greatest 100 shows of all time, it's going to be pretty close to the top. Um, and, uh, and it was ahead of its time. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, TV has is, is largely been an industry that is supposed to be very much of its time, um, but but uh, but on rare occasion, with real vision and originality, there are shows that are ahead of their time, and they suffer because of it in terms of ratings. Right. But they, they now have the opportunity to survive, and they don't disappear. Mm -hmm. That show's always available to you, yeah, forever. It was, it was interesting with FX because they, you know, if you watch the show, it says FX presents, you know, because, because they know that people are going to be watching the show in years to come on different platforms, and but they want it to be branded as an FX show, and I, I think you know. And and John Langraff, who runs FX, said to me about ratings. He said, "I mean, we don't care about same day. And in fact, the reality is, we probably won't really know how your show did for a year. You know. Right. And the fact that they have that patience just to look at it <clears throat> all the way down the line, you know, being half the studio on it as well means they get the back end money. So they're looking at not just how to do on TV, but you know, how is it done overall? You know, I think that's that's really helpful. It gives you a longer shot at, at making something successful. Yeah, and, and as far as, like, ideas that can, can help, because there is, it's interesting that everybody here is a creator, uh, but there is a marketing element to, to these things. There's press element. There's everything that helps make them, you know, take greatness and then get it seen. Um, so there is a kind of this marketing element. And when I was talking to, it was Herb over at BBC America, it's like, what what can keep them on the air? Would you guys be open? And because and, they're like, how do you, uh, we, in the green room, we were talking about how the NFL 
you know, you have the draft, and now it's three days. It's, you know, if, you, if you're not a sports fan, maybe you don't know, but the NFL drafts three days of this all marketing, and people are into it. But, but because of that, these, the NFL is on people's brains. Well, I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say it's on their brains, given the concussion problems. But, you know, it's, it's in the news 365 days a year. And so the idea is, what, how do we keep content? And I'm wondering uh, if one of the solutions uh, is, and, I, and you guys, I have no idea, so you can tell me if this is possible, would you be open to something like, especially if you're a continuing show, but like yours and, and or, or from or from Black as well, of shooting extra content during this during the year while they're there, and then holding that, not using it for the show, and then having that be released, I'm guessing in an online way, to and to and end up feeding, you know, sort of feeding people throughout the year and keeping them engaged. We've we've talked about things like that, like little webisodes or things like that. But it requires an amazing amount of buy-in from everybody. It requires your cast, um, and it's time-consuming. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and someone has to write it, and <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs> it's uh, so so the, like the, that kind of that kind of like extra content. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough. To get the content that you want on screen, but what about more of like an amateur? I don't know. I want to say amateur hour version, but like something that's much more simple, like a like a vir- almost like a viral thing, where you have somebody just tape something, stick it on YouTube. Do you, do you mean coming from the production? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've. I mean, there's been some discussions about that, but but I have to agree. Like, you don't want to put anything out there that isn't as good as the show itself. Right. Right, um, because you know, and even the the marketing discussions that happen. I mean, we have in depth marketing discussions where we want to make sure our key art, that our trailers, mm-hmm. that everything we do um, matches what we're trying to do with the show. And it's hard enough mm-hmm. just to make the thirteen hours themselves in the course of one year, than to say let's make all of this ancillary stuff. If you if you view it the way you're describing it, which is just sort of like here, here's a little nugget, here's a little nibble. Um, it's going to feel like an appetizer, and we only want to serve a main dish mm-hmm. and so, it, yeah, so and I, th- I, I mean just to finish my thought like I think that um, you could create a show that's geared towards that where y- if you think about that's actually you have to think about that as being content that's part of the story you're telling and if you want to make a show where it's like every four weeks you're going to get this like 20 minute thing and then you might get three episodes and then you'll do another thing so be it, but but uh, I mean I don't I don't know if any of the shows up here are geared towards that, uh, and you don't want to put out stuff that like you're saying create a viral video, like as if there's a formula for creating a viral right. video, and if right. anything when you try to make something viral you embarrass yourself right. with how unviral it is, mm. you know so so um, I think that the best advocate for your show and people maintaining interest is it being good, which sounds like a cop-out, but that's, it, that's what people are coming back for is the goodness of it. Yeah, and I think people are very attuned to what's marketing and what's real, you know what I mean? So if something feels like a gimmick or marketing, um, it's, it's inherently less interesting. And I think it devalues you know, the overall brand. You know, I I know I've got young kids, and I know when I give them too many presents at Christmas, at the in the end they're just opening boxes. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not meaningful to them anymore, and and I think that can that can be the case um, when you try to do too much um, for an audience. And and this idea, you know, I mean, I'm still on the fence about the the you know the, the giving every episode at once, just because people will. You know, we're Americans; we will eat 
both of those hamburgers if you give us the opportunity. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, except, except that, I mean, people assume everyone binge watches House of Cards. Right. So when in truth, only a fraction yeah. of people I mean, binge not... watch. And, but plenty of people also binge watch your show. Sure, absolutely. Because so, that trend of behavior started as soon as there was box sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I watched the first three seasons of Sopranos because I was behind the curve there in a weekend. No, there was no binge watching term. No one like was right. saying this is strange behavior. I was just like, <laughs> I was unemployed, and and um, it was really good, and I didn't want to stop watching. And because I could, I did. Um, so you know, it, I don't. I think what we have to relinquish is any sense of true control over how people experience yeah. our show. Because now people are binge watching Sopranos from ten years ago on a phone <laughs> in a subway. You know, and I'm sure that David Chase didn't intend for this to be only three inches wide, you know, um, but that's the reality. Yeah. No, and, and, you know, I know that there are people who will literally tape three or four hours so that they can watch them all together or, you know, or they'll watch one at a time even though they're, they're all available. You know, you just have to give yourself the time to really take in what the show is trying to, to tell you. I mean, it works on an entertainment value if you're lucky, and but if you're trying to do more with it, you certainly want people to take that time to live with your show and the hours that they're not watching as well. So, um, you know, and, and I think that's part of what the off-season is about, is people finding your show and those discussions to continue. I, I, I'll jump in and just say, I, I kind of feel like, I, and I hope that, that we go a bit the opposite way, because I feel our show is, you know, it's a sci-fi thriller and it's a it's a a sci-fi world you know and as a fan of these kind of things i love all that expanded universe stuff you know i love the graphic novels and the motion comics and the the things that explore the lives of other characters that that you don't really get the chance to do in you know 43 minutes on you know on cbs when you you know like when you have the demands of like the uh the act outs you know the 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 curtain raisers and all that kind of stuff and it's like i feel like those other mediums would give you the opportunity to explore those things and those characters in a way. And if you have a fan base that supports it, they, you know, they, they love that stuff too. They love going deeper in, into those worlds. And, and so I feel like we're a show that could really thrive on it, but we're, we're, we're kind of in the early stages where we're still laying out the foundation for what that world is. And like Graham was saying, I think it, a lot of times it's just the allocation of your, your time and your resources because it's hard enough to make the show. You know, I, the people always ask me, like, what's the, what's the biggest thing that you've learned like after a year you know, of working, you know, it, you know, like your, your dream job in television? And I always say, like, the, the biggest thing I've learned is it's a miracle that anything is ever great <laughs> you know? because there are so like, many obstacles to doing it. And, and, um, and so I, I, I hope that I get the time and the chance to do more of those things and would love to do, you know, the the web series that's all about some peripheral character that would be really cool in his own adventure. You know that. Kind of yeah, stuff. it's uh, um, it is it is difficult. We've just started putting out the Orphan Black comic books, and um, it does require our attention because you don't want the story to step on the show. You want the universe to complement it. Yeah, you want it to complement it, and you don't want to eat up anything you want to put on your show. Yeah. So it gets, it, gets, it gets super difficult to... Well, you look to, at somebody like Marvel, you know, like they have, now they have uh, the, the, the movie universe, and they have the, the TV universe with Daredevil, and, and they're starting to like, you know, there's the, you know, all the weight of that, you know, like all the stuff you have to keep track of. And, and so I can imagine that could be, you know, kind of a problem too, is, you know, tracking your story through those things. But uh, to me, that's a challenge I'd love to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'll think take that it. This, the, the interesting thing here that you guys are saying, which is certainly a factor, is that 
don't dilute the product, yeah. which is that's you know that's really important. Um, and um, you know I, r- I run the risk of seem- seeming too earnest if I'm like you, 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 you do this. I, but I think it comes from a, from a from a from a point of hearing people say we're worried that this show's gonna get canceled. Um, and so in, in this 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 festival has a canceled too soon segment, right? I mean, we're here for shows that, that we loved that, uh, some shows we loved that got canceled too soon. So that il- element is in play. Um, but I totally get that, how you don't want to lose control. And that's another thing you don't want, if you, have a, if you have a comic book, you don't want them to step on your story where you might want to do it. Uh, but I'm wondering, uh, and then the viral video thing, what, I'm, what I meant last is, is, is trying to create that, because that'll, that'll never work. You're totally right about that. Is, but if you, if you have these forces saying, Hey, we really want to help you, which could be a, a wink of saying, you're, you need our help because if you don't, you know, and I, and I know that that's true of other shows where it's like, hey, we, you really got to move that needle a little bit or we can't. And, I, and same thing with John Landgraf, a lovely guy, smartest guy in the room at all, all times. And he'll be, he often says, hey, you know, it, it was so close. We were so close to renewal on that show. And there's a lot of, a lot of shows that FX has gone through that were really great and didn't get that needle moved. Um, so I'm wondering, outside of losing control or having extra time, would you guys be open to like something that's not even you know what I mean? It's just not even about the show. Somebody's not even in character. It's not even it's it's so clearly different from the show, but involves something of the show, whether it's uh, a writer or some you know what I mean? Or as you say a uh, 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 fifth character or a smaller character. The the guys on Brooklyn Nine Nine at an earlier panel had brought up. You know, you have you have Scully and Hitchcock, these two guys in the back who are their own thing, and they've created their own world. They're knitting socks in the back. These are two actors who are just to get one or two lines per show. And there's a thought like, hey, let's 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 do something for these guys in maybe a, in in a, in a not like a webisode where people have to sit down and write it, and you've got unions or whatever. But let's let them do something that that helps the show. Or would you be open to that? Where you're, it's not taking any more of your time, and it's not diluting the quality. But someone is saying, hey, we're gonna put this out there what is this magical thing you know doesn't take any time doesn't dilute it sounds like he's offering to do it this is why we're here this is why we're here Bo. i mean i i I, uh i look this sort of impossible question to ask answer i mean it depends so much on the show um you know I, i mean uh I'm I'm a big fan of outside the box thinking in general. Sure, I mean I mean the the, the right story. Uh, you know, you could do your sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, you know, it's sort of I guess you're kind of talking almost like a simultaneous spinoff as the show is happening. Or I mean, um, but but I think I think you would kind of it's for it to be good. You'd almost want to start with that at inception. You know, as a strategy for keeping people to watch the show, and I will sound like a broken record on this, it just has to stay good mm-hmm. or get better. Because then no amount, if you're, if, if people are losing interest over the course of a year before you release again, it's because the story you told did not embed itself in their gray matter, and you failed on that front from a storytelling perspective. You know, it's not because there's so much other great television out there that they're going to somehow that, that smart people in the audience are going to say I'm overloaded and then that show is forced out of my brain and therefore I've lost interest and it's been replaced by the prettier object in the room. They'll if they if they if it really embedded into their mind, then they will come back. You know, so I I don't know. I mean, again, I'm speaking from very limited experience. You know, uh, um, but but I don't. I don't know if it's like we've 
<clears throat> we've got to be um, shaking in our boots about losing people's interest during that time when we're not like promoting this in some big junket way or big some big marketing drive, and the show has just been released. Um, you know, uh, uh, word of mouth is a powerful thing, and the power of story is a powerful thing. And both of those things are way more powerful than any marketing strategy, which is just an attempt to get people to begin to talk, um, but can't sustain it if the goods aren't there. Right. Well, one of the one of the things that Orphan Black does, which which is in show, which I'm sure you have control over. But uh, the feedback that I get, and you guys probably watch it, and we'll have something to say about that as well, is when they you have that little where it says a little bit more about Orphan Black, and then the characters talk about what's happening in that episode. So I'm sure you must oversee that, right? Um, is that the like the after the black specials, or just like uh, no? It's actually in the show where it, there's Tatiana's talking about her character, even just for two minutes, for a minute. Um, yeah, that's uh, it. Seems like extra content. Yeah, it's you know that stuff is sort of shot over the course of. The time when we do all the um, uh, all the key art and everything, which usually falls near the end of the season, there's a usually sort of a week. Uh, that's if it's not if it's not a hiatus, it's it's somewhere near Christmas, um, and uh, they, we get a lot of extra content during that week when we're doing the key art, and uh, I'm madly trying to catch up, you know, um, and that's when. Yeah, that's when they'll sit down the actors and we sit down the creators and and everybody talks a little bit. And then that content kind of spins out over the course of the season Mm -hmm. goes on YouTube and things like that. You know, Justified Head was based on an Elmore Leonard short story and Elmore Leonard was nice and went off and wrote a book in between seasons uh, about Raylan and that's great. And I know, you know, on Castle, it's about a mystery novelist, so they started publishing the guy's books written probably by some ghostwriter for like 39 cents or whatever but right. <laughs> and then of course the sad state of book publishing those books are always bestsellers right. because more people watch the least watched tv show than read the most read book you know which is kind of sad but but you know there are ways i guess to, if they're organic you know to the show or that that you can do things that that will help to promote it but I don't necessarily think they're within the same medium that you're working. Do you know what I mean? Like to make webisodes or to make those other things, it sort of feels like what you really want to watch is Game of Thrones. You don't want to watch the behind-the-scenes Game of Thrones extra content. Or I don't, you know. But I mean, oh, but people do, actually. People That's do, yeah. yeah. And, so, you know, I mean, everyone sort of scours the, yeah. <laughs> and make your raises in. Yeah, it's like, that's... yeah. But... You know, those are often made, they're not made by the show. Those are usually made by the marketing department of the, you know, of the, the network. Yeah. No, I, but I think on the, on the idea of extra content that isn't watered down, um, I did ask people what they would watch. And you might be surprised because you wouldn't even watch that. I mean, you guys would watch extra content for Game of Thrones, yeah? Oh, yeah. All right. So, exactly. So there's, there's that thing. And, I, and when I was querying people what they want, here's one thing that I got back, which I thought was kind of funny, which was somebody said... I would love to have, like, a camera in the writer's room. And they were like, I would watch that all day long. (laughs) 
and I and, and I thought, well, that's kind of amazing because no, you that, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, but maybe the fans do, and then you just stick it online, and all of a sudden, hey, that's it, when you're off the air. Six months later, people are still watching it. There's a great. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen. It, but there's a great uh, video from the Breaking Bad writers room, and it's a time lapse of a couple of weeks of that, and it's and it's fascinating to watch, you know, like because it was super sped up. Um, but I I watched that and you know found it really interesting, you know, especially like all the candy that people go through like during the day. Yeah. I like it's pretty normal in ours. Too. Here's a writer's room. Hey, what'd you guys have for breakfast? What, what should we have for lunch? What are we eating right now? It's that's what a writer's room. Did you watch Silicon is. Valley last night? Yeah. Well, uh, since this is a blah, blah, about people who want to, and, and it's just too profane. To, it's too profane. Yeah. Well, it's on the, you know, online. Doesn't well, that's part of it too. There's a, there is like a you know a sense that you like a, I don't bring a lot of visitors in you know to the writers' room too because there is a little bit of it being kind of like a sacred space and you want people writers to feel free to like you know pitch their craziest idea or tell their most deeply personal story and that, you know that kind of thing and so it's I, I, that would be a hard one I think to convince people to pull off because it would you know it's the observer effect you know the what's the 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 cat. Right, the, there's that, you know, there's that, yeah. Well, it's right. funny because it's you. Everybody here's a creator, right? And then the person talking about this was an executive, and, and others have talked about it too. And I was like, well, how do you take a creative show and turn it into like essentially product? And he's like, you, you, we need to. And then you guys don't need to. He's saying we need to. And I was like, well, how do you? What, what do you do? And he's like, it's everything from selling T-shirts and hats to, to doing this online stuff. But I'm guessing that the people who came here today would probably have some ideas or thoughts on it. So we're going to pass a microphone. Do we have a microphone, or is it just people are going to stand up? So just stand up. We're in a small room. So if you have a, go ahead and stand up and tell us. Uh, the question I had was kind of based on that whole thing about the extra marketing or whatever. What I find interesting is when actors themselves will do little bits. Like I was specifically thinking about I can't remember what award show it was. Maybe it was the Oscars with Kevin Spacey where he went straight into Frank Underwood for like two seconds and basically had the whole room. People were cheering. I think it was after season one, so I think that's what it was. But how do you guys just overall feel? Or like another example of like the Game of Thrones was, and it might be a generational thing because the young actors actually hang out and they'll do all these weird things like they shot this video and they're singing this song. But they weren't in character, but they were just actors that having... For, like kind of the persona of their character. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel like if your actors uh, take upon themselves to do little viral videos or like, hey, I'm getting dressed dressed up as character while I'm shooting? Do you guys have any type of limitations with that? Obviously, other than getting like spoilers or anything. Do you, or do you encourage that, or you just don't care? Or uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh... Uh, it, it has to go through all the same layers of approval process as any other piece of the story. So sometimes it feels like it's not worth it. <laughs> but other times, you know, uh, it's hard to make it feel off the cuff, which is what, you li- what you're liking about it, right? Um, but I, I personally like that kind of stuff. I like a day in the life kind of stuff where you're backstage, you're back with the actor. Um, I think... I, th- I think we had a little bit of that, or we've talked about doing that. You talk about a lot of these things that, in the rush of actually making the show, they kind of fall by the wayside to, to a little, some more, more traditional type, type uh, things. And I think, you know, for, for the actors, it's, it's tough sometimes, too, and, and for us, because we're in the writer's room, and, and we're, you know, you're dealing with the demands of production, but the actors, you know, they're, they're on 12, 14-hour days, and, 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 and so, like, you know, to, to come from our side and to ask them to do this, you know, this extra stuff, and then there are things to do with the unions and you know all that kind of stuff to go through, and and um, and so I think I, 
I'd be interested to know, like, if they did do that on their own, just, you know, because they're all hanging out in Romania or whatever. They got, you know, two days to kill before, uh, you know, Sansa's back up. And so they, so they, you know, she kind of does it on her own. I think that would be interesting to find out if, it's, if it is, you know, truly off the cuff like that. But it's, I think it's, it's hard for, you know, because the demands are so, so great and they're learning their lines and they're, uh, you know, and they're jumping in and shooting and then they got to learn a whole new scene and, and, you know, and start that up. It's, it's, it's tough to pull off in that way. You also, though, I think you want the Wizard of Oz to actually be a wizard. You know what I mean? You don't. The idea that it's just this guy from Kansas is not as interesting on some <laughs> level, right? So, you know, you want to create the mystique of your, uh, you know, of the show and let people live within the world of the show. And when, whenever you're breaking that that fourth wall and sort of saying, "Hey, we just shoot it like everything else," and I put on makeup, and you know, I mean, I think, I think that's something that is driven by more of a marketing need to engage people with your show and less by, you know, by us sort of saying from a content, you know, from the story standpoint, you know, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want people to see that stuff because it, you know, it, it kind of demystifies it. You know, when, when Chris Nolan goes on and explains the ending of Inception or David Chase talks about the last scene in The Sopranos, it's like, I'm interested from a technical standpoint and a fan, but I don't know, is that really what we should do or shouldn't we just leave it hanging for people? Also, I, I don't think that any of this stuff helps keep people watching the show, ultimately, because the people who watch this stuff are the super fans, the people who aren't going to leave the show anyway. So it's not like someone who's like on the fence about the show is going to be like, I was really convinced <laughs> by that little skit they did during the hiatus that I'm coming back. I mean, the people who are going to seek that out and watch it are people that you've already got on board, you know? Yeah. I there's mean, all, look, all, yeah. the, the, the general audience has more access to the actors, the directors, the creators than they've ever had before, um, and some people are more active than others, you know, on Twitter or, or, or what have you, um, and they might do things, you know, sort of off the cuff for fun, which are which are fun, you know, but I think that those are really uh, directed at their personal following or, or the audience for that, you know, that, that, per, that persona uh, than anything else. And, um, you know, and then there's more sort of concerted efforts. Like we did, a, we were asked by um, the White House Correspondents Association to do uh, a, like a skit, like a video for um, the uh, Correspondents Dinner uh, a few years back, and and we thought, well, this would be a, a pretty cool thing to do because we'll we'll get to shoot in the White House and the Capitol, and um, and the President of the United States will be sitting there watching it himself. Uh, but that was like, you know, that was a three day shoot that cost a lot of money, that was scripted, <laughs> that was. I mean, in the midst of it, I'm like, why the fuck did I agree to this? Because I'm I'm you know I'm like shooting like five minutes of like as high quality stuff as we would shoot on the show with the skeleton crew you know, traipsing around D.C. trying to make it as good as the show itself. Um, and it was a major undertaking, you know. I mean, when you've got the getting your film gear into the White House is no joke. <laughs> Let me just tell you, every piece has to be x-rayed. Dogs are sniffing it. People are standing around with machine guns. You, you know, you're, you're like dealing with some White House staffer who says, I literally have seven minutes to do this, and then I've got to go to the situation room, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, any, anyway, uh, 
but I, yeah, I don't think that any of this stuff gets people to stick around. Yeah, the super fan comment that that is that is a good rebuttal to pe- the executives asking for more content. That's certainly that's certainly true. There's also like different uh, levels of of how open actors are. So you give you give an actor give a video camera to Christian Brun. He'll run around in his underwear and shoot everything, including his underwear, <laughs> and and shoot everyone. But then he'll point the camera at another actor who's like, please do not like intrude. <laughs> This is my process, right? And they're very private about it. Um, is that how they talk? Yes, mm-hmm. the, the, the ones with process, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, for instance, a lot of media outlets and a lot of people have been very interested t- in going into Tatiana's makeup trailer and seeing her transformations. And she's, she's you know, she's very open uh, in, in, a, in a, a lot of ways, but that is sacrosanct. That is not uh, that transformation process. That's private. And she does not want anybody to see that piece of the process. Totally understand that, right? Yeah. Especially that that, that does get to the it's too much point. How much do we have to give, right? Any questions? Go ahead. You? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one. <laughs> for for us, uh, season one. I mean, <clears throat> Fincher shot all of the key art himself. Uh, I came up with all of the copy. I write the blurbs f- that you see on Netflix personally um, for episode descriptions. Um, we have a big discussion with the marketing people uh, at the very beginning of the year where I walk them through the broad strokes of the season thematically, what we're trying to do, um, what some of the things they might want to be thinking about. Those discussions are ongoing throughout the year. Um, we take marketing really seriously, uh, not just because it helps people be aware of the show, but but we feel like every image we put up, every word we put out there, um, anything that has to do with House of Cards is a reflection of the show itself. So we treat we we want it to uh, have the same standard that we're approaching the actual content with, um, and uh, and we're lucky to work with really open-minded and progressive marketing people who um, you know deal with our micromanagement. For us, it's like a it's a bit of an ongoing conversation because at the beginning of both seasons, you know, I would go in with the showrunner and we would. We would pitch to a whole room of people at CBS, you know, like you know, twenty some people who run, you know, all the the, the promo stuff and the web, you know, all that kind of all those things. And we would we pitch them the big ideas and the big themes and the stuff that we were the stuff that we were dealing with. And then you talk about some stuff, you know, these are the things we don't want to talk about because they're going to be spoilers or big, you know. Um, and th- and that's kind of an ongoing thing. There were times last year at the season, you know, we would get a you know an email with a link to a a promo spot and I'd watch and go, ah, God, they, you know, they're showing this one shot and we know like, that's a, such an exciting part of the episode. We're so, and you know, so you email them and say, Hey, we, we want to hold that back. Would you mind, you know, and, and, and they're always really great about that. Cause they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, to, to spoil that kind of thing too. And, but in and, and we didn't have as much of a conversation about all the web stuff. Um, last season, we're having a lot more of that right now, you know, as we're going into season two and the discussion about it. And, and a lot of times with, um, you know, press and publicity and things that, um, you know, we same thing. You're writing like, or at least taking a pass at the episode blurbs and the things that go out into, you know, TV guide and that kind of stuff too, just to make sure that the that it 
it's it's telling the story in the way that you know that we want to tell it too. But it's it's, it's a partnership. Graham, are you writing the blurbs too? I mean, that's pretty um, that's pretty hands on though. Uh, I sometimes, usually, I'll certainly take a pass at them, or or, or but someone in the writers room will write those blurbs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think it's kind of a conversation as well, where. Um, I mean, a lot of this marketing stuff, we need to very carefully vet for spoilers because we're, like, we're pretty like, stick, sticky about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to things like key art, that's more network-driven, and we're sort of invited to give our opinions. <laughs> you know, um, invited to tell them how and, much you like it. And we have, to do, we, we have to do it twice because we have two networks, one in Canada, Space, and we have BBC America. Right, right. Okay, we'll take, take one more, and then we can go. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Fargo's fucking hilarious. What are you talking about? <laughs> but how do you think this applies to comedies, the idea of now that, you know, Netflix and, and Hulu and, and now these guys are kind of picking up more, more traditional comedies? Well, comedy's easier, I think. You, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of the perfect... The internet is the perfect thing for comedy, you know, with Key and Peele or, or The Daily Show or any of these shows. It's like... The viralness of those videos, the fact that you have something that's two minutes long that has a beginning, middle, and end, and that you can put out there and that draws people to your show. And, you know, I think that's great. It's a lot harder. Way harder to write, yeah. much easier to market. Right. Yeah. It's hard to do King Lear in, like, you know, <laughs> 92 seconds. You know what I mean? Like, to take people on that journey. But but if the latest valet guy skit from, you know, the about the Neesons, I mean, that, you know, sells itself. So um, we should all be making comedies, I think. Great. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming out for starters, but this group right here. Thanks to everybody on the panel for coming out and and talking about this and knocking it around. We'll we'll report back that it's not going to happen. Now leaving Nerdist.com.